0: Amen. Tyler, come on up, man. Are y'all proud of Tyler? I mean, is this guy awesome or what? I mean, he is a blessing. Uh, how long have we been together? 2007. 2007. Yeah. Bless my heart. I mean, bless you, no. Know. Uh, hey, uh, don't forget, Tyler will be having a birthday party for Thomas Scott on the 24th of September. I'll see his wife for more details on how all that came about. Amen. Uh, you're you love the best. me? You love me? Hey, y'all give Tyler another great big hand. Yeah, you want to get up here? Yeah, let me help you. Let me help the man of God right here. I'm not trying to seem arrogant by getting on the stage, but uh, I walk a lot, and I bought a new pair of work boots, which I figured I'd break them in today. And uh any of you that have ever bought a new pair of boots, breaking them in is the hardest part. They're work boots though. They're work boots. Yeah, yeah, they're they're clean right now. Yeah, my son tried to scratch them up this morning. I said, "Ah, one day, give me one day." And uh but uh I told my wife, I said, "I guess it's a perfect time to try to break them in cuz you know how bad it hurts your feet when you're breaking a new pair of boots." But uh uh so so the birthday party, I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag on that one. So Thomas has a birthday party, obviously on the 24th, (laughs) and yesterday Marty texted me and said, Tyler, I noticed on Facebook you have a birthday party set for the 24th. He said, but the church is booked that day. Tyler had forgotten to say anything to Marty about two or three months ago when his wife told him to. And we were, look, let me tell you, the kids were with the grandparents yesterday, and we were just riding, man. We were just, wherever we wanted to go, we was going. We ended up just stopping at a restaurant, eating, just having good husband and wife time, man. And we were riding, and when I saw that message, I said, there went the Saturday right there. (laughs) Because I knew. And I looked over at her, and I said, "Uh, Marty just texted me, and she said, what did he say? And I told her, and she said, no, Tyler, you booked that a couple months ago. And boy, that bottom lip quivered. <laughs> uh, mine, not hers, mine. <laughs> and I looked at her and I just, I, I literally could not get any words out. And I just, I shook my head. And and I don't know if she received but I was telling her, daddy didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't do it. And y'all... She was looking out the window. She was looking back at me. She was looking out the front. And I was just, I was watching the fist to see if it ever balled up. But, uh, and then Marty called me and he said, Look, I, uh, he said his book from one to four. And I, I'm i talking to him. I'm like, maybe, maybe maybe I can. I'm pretty good. I, I carry a big shovel in case I got to dig myself out. I, I truthfully do. Yeah I, yeah, I called Marty. I called, because I texted him and he didn't reply within. Half a second, so I said, I'm calling him. You've been there. I called him, and I said, I'm just going to try to figure something out, okay? And then uh, he's telling me, yes, book one to four, this and that. And he said, Tyler, you know, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't. I wouldn't tell you this, but I love you, and I want you to know. I'm just kidding with you, but we do need to be better about planning. <laughs> Yeah. Look I look to so some people it's like Marty Usa so to me it was praised God. Oh man. I was like I, I even spoke louder on the phone. I was like, You mean you were kidding? And I'm looking over at my wife going, Please tell me you're hearing this. Please tell me you're hearing And she just I, I could see that little grin start to come up. She was just looking out the window, she wouldn't look at me and I was just like, Man, I'm off the leash on the Oh man. Please don't look. And then after that, we were riding a little bit. And at this point, I'm, you know how we are, guys. When it's over, it's over, right? But we were riding, and I was smiling. She said, "You're out of the doghouse, but you ain't off on this one. (laughs) You should've. You knew better. You knew better." And I was kind of like, "You're right, but I ain't in that doghouse, boy. We can we can make it. We ain't in the doghouse." (laughs) But that was just, uh, ooh, that was a scary moment. Because I don't know if you guys are like me. It's not so much you're scared of the person. It's just like, like if you're like me, you're just kind of like, man, it was such a good day. And I knew. I just knew because women ain't like us guys, you know. And this is probably not a good prelude to my message right here. but uh, And it, it, to a fault, I'll say to a fault, we let things go way too quick. We really do. Uh, there have been times where, Lord, I think I did it this past week, where my wife walked up to me, and she was like, so you want to talk about the other day? And I said, you got to remind me what happened. <laughs> and she looked at me so hard, and I said, she said, they're in your messages. I was like, I remember good. I know where you're coming from. That, you know, we've all, look, but guys, we just, we're, we're one day at a time. Women, you're one year at a time, and I, I credit you on that. I wish I was better about it. But uh, glory be to God. With that being said, do y'all mind if we pray real quick? Let's say a prayer then. Lord, I just thank you again for this for this morning, God, and for this time. I pray, Lord, that everything that's said, God, would be exactly what you want to be said, Lord. And I pray, God, just that your spirit would rest on this place this morning. God, just let us come away with the joy of knowing who we are in you today, God. And it's in Christ Jesus' righteous and holy name we pray this morning. Amen. All right. So, um, when Marty asked asked me to speak, I was uh, it didn't take long to figure out what we were going to talk about this morning because this has kind of been something I've been thinking about a lot here lately. Uh, you know, when you go through things, and, like not things as far as situations in your life, but you know how like sometimes things kind of stick in your head from a biblical perspective. You just keep digging into it a little bit more, more than you ever have. And that's how it's been with this. But this topic that we're going to talk about today, if we were to really want to break it down, it would take months and probably the rest of the year to break down. So if I had to title the message today, i just have it the most beautiful place, the church. Because I just, you know, when I think of the church, for me, I I think about LVA. I think about here. But I also remember growing up, and and if you're like me, I remember me laying my head on my mom's lap in the seats and in the pews, but still hearing the songs, still hearing the preacher. I remember uh, when I was little, I still remember the preacher's name was Rip Noble. He's no longer in Greenville anymore, but he was at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And I remember his fiery messages. Uh, I can remember times at a church before where, where I was at before here, and I remember, I, I think of some of the elders in the church, some of the mighty, I say my some of the the, the men of faith and the women of faith. And, and I just think about all these people I've known through my lifetime. It brings up really good memories, you know. It's almost like, you know, I love I love our music, but, you know, sometimes when you hear someone play something like Blessed Assurance on the piano, it just conjures up things from the past, and you begin to think about the faith, and and, I mean, it's just beautiful stuff, and so as I began to think about the church, I just, I wanted to know more about it, because I I believe in today's world, the church has kind of been replaced with the machine, if I could say it that way, you know, because when we think of the church, ultimately, and, and I will say this as a disclaimer, I know, I know as I get further, this is going to be the first statement that gets made, and I understand that the church is not the building, it is the people. However, this is one thing. I was talking to somebody this week, and I, I made a joke with them, and I said, I know the very first thing someone's going to say is, the church is not the building. The church is the people. And they said, well, it's true. I said, it is. But here's, here's where I'm coming from. I've heard too many people use that as, as an excuse to not assemble together. And it should never, ever be used as a, as a reason to not assemble. The church is the people, and we need to be around them. The book of Hebrews says, Do not forsake the assemblings of yourself, which is the habit of some. And it won't be long until they shipwreck their faith. I'm telling you. So I fully agree that the church is not the building. It is the people. and that's, But I think we need to understand what that means when we think about this. Really think about this. That the church is not just who's in this room. It's not just the people who've attended LVA. It's the people in other churches here in the community it's the people in the churches in Africa it's it's Abraham it's Isaac and it's Jacob and I believe this is just huge when you I told I was talking to my wife yesterday and I said it blows my mind to think that this man that I've read for most of my life Charles Spurgeon I'm going to be standing with him one day because he's a part of the church too we get so, I guess, nearsighted when we think of the church that we think it's just right here. But we forget the church is a worldwide group of people who God has called out and saved through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it is amazing reality to, to think about that. Because I've met people from a, from that from, since I was in high school, I've met people that live miles from here, but they're the church. And I've met them in Washington, D.C. I've met them in Florida. I've met them in in different places, but they're the church. And as I began to think about it, I began to think about how As I said earlier, and I'm not trying to kind of beat a dead horse here, but we just replaced the church with the the machine almost, you know. Do we have enough to give to people? Do we have enough things to entertain you? Do we have enough things to make you? And don't get me wrong, we need to have things in place. We need to have nurseries. We need to have children's programs. I'm not against those things. That's That's really not even what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the churches in America that have replaced true fellowship in the church and sound doctrine for mostly emotional draws. And it's become more of a machine than it has a fellowship. You know, when I think about the church, I think of me and my wife coming together with believers And like-minded people that I'm going to love on them and they're going to love on me. One thing I love about, you know what I love about being a part of the church? The church, you know what I love about it? Is that we always talk about the things of God. It it, it doesn't matter. I run into people on my job that are a part of the church, man. And and no matter where we're at, we sit down and we talk about the things of God. I've got people that when I go visit them, I, I, I come in and they're like, you know what to do. And we're like, all right, get your order, get your order. All right, now for the next 30 minutes, we're just going to talk about the Word. That's the church. That is the church. And we've replaced it with this thought of just, it's just this building. And that it's just what goes on in here. But the church is the most beautiful place to be. It's the most beautiful thing to be a part of. And we're going to elaborate on it here. Number one, one of the number one reasons why this is the most beautiful place you can be in is because this is the household of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. i got to find my spot. I was almost a second, Timothy. It says, These things I write to you, though I hope, hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of And ground of truth. One of the things I wanted you to see there is he calls this the household of God. The use of the word household here means a family. It it renders the meaning of people who reside together, that are of like mind and that are together in whatever they're doing and their love for one another, they are a family. Church, we are of a spiritual heritage, and that is from the lineage of Jesus Christ through God Almighty. Thanks be to God there. We are not just some bloodline that, that stems from our last name. When you have been bought and purchased from Jesus Christ, you are now a part of the household of the living God, and we are family. That is huge. Because if we would ever get that through our heads, that no, this is family. This is not just a person here. This is not just somebody I'm passing up and down the road. Jason is not just my pest control guy. And I say that seriously. He's not just my pest control guy. He's family. When I see him at my house and I pull up, I don't get excited because, man, he's about to kill those spiders. I really, but even though that's exciting, I don't. I get excited because I'm like, that's family right there. He's from my household. And that is the household of the living God. Man, I hope this resonates with you. That you are not just some earthly fictional being out here that just dies and willy-nilly. If you are His, you are of the household of the living God. And I love the way He makes the statement in there that you may know how to act. I believe if we would ever grasp that we are of the household of God, that we would treat each other a little better. There's, And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, I'm talking about worldwide, okay? I'm not, just, I'm not really hammering on LVA right here. But I do believe the shoe fits a lot of us. It fits me. But if we would realize that we are of the household of God, we would know how to act better towards one another. We wouldn't always, if something doesn't go the way we want it to, we wouldn't get so up in arms and ready to just slash the person to death. We wouldn't be ready to nail someone to a cross because of something they did or said that we didn't like. Now granted, I understand there are certain things that that is worth standing up for. I understand there are certain things. If you're in a church and they're preaching something that shouldn't be preached, I understand you stand up and you fight against that. But but, But if it's just one thing that they did or said that just rubbed you wrong and you hadn't gone to the Scripture to confirm whether or not, put your sword down. Put your pitchfork down. We're the household of God. If people on the outside are looking at us and seeing how we act, why do they want to come in? Why would they want to come into the household? I've been around people, men who they go to churches, and those churches are good churches, but the second they walk out, they are downgrading members in the congregation. They're downgrading the pastor. They're downgrading the youth pastor. They're downgrading everybody. This is not right. If, if biblically, if you have an alt against somebody, you need to go to that person. I know we talk about it in here in the old adage. You just want to add them to the prayer list. Well, quit adding people to someone else's prayer list and put them on your own. That way the conversation between you and God, you've got your own prayer list, make your own. Because I've been there. I've been the one that where I've been so mad at somebody that I just call up somebody that I just want to vent to. And I'm saying, look, you know, I just, I just, man, they, and I knew my heart. I knew my heart wasn't to really seek advice. It's one thing if I'm seeking advice, but I knew my heart wasn't. And I'm just raking people in the church over the coals. I'm mad at somebody who's a part of the church because it's something they did or said that I didn't agree with. Church, we are the household of God. I said this earlier, we do not lo- no longer. Now, granted, I understand that this is not Tyler saying don't take care of your family, okay? The Pharisees tried that mess and Christ called them out on it. He said, you try to tell me, you know, what you've already dedicated yourself to the Lord so you can't do for your mother and father. He said, no, you're sinning when you do that. So this is not Tyler telling you not to take care of your family, but I am saying this. You are now no longer known by your, your, your fleshly lineage anymore. Some of you say, well, I'm proud of my last name. Okay, well, keep looking. There's some stuff you won't be proud of in that last name, too. Seriously. Seriously, there are some things that, look, if you look up the family last name, you'll say, that's some good people. But then you keep looking further, you'll say, that's some rough people, too. And far be it from me that someone should, should apply to my account what someone else did hundreds of years ago or even 50, 20 years ago. No, no, I'm of the household of God. They may not be, but I am. And I want to be known as I'm a part of the household of God. But we have a lot of people in the church that if they would just quit identifying with who the world tells them they are and start identifying as the household of God, things would change. Church, we are of a spiritual lineage. And no longer do we worry about the fleshly blood that runs through our veins. We worry about the spiritual blood. You have been bought with a price. You are of the household of God. I can't drive that point home anymore. I've seen many, look, I'm just going to step out on a limb here and say it because uh, what what did the scripture say? We're the pillar of truth. I've seen many people in churches leave churches because they were more dedicated to their fleshly household than they were their spiritual. When someone in the church came to them and said, I'm seeing this in your life but I'm telling you because I care about you and I love you, they thrown in the towel and, their, and their, their fleshly family was right there to say, yeah, you're right. We told you not to go around them church people. We told you you didn't need to be around them. They were going to call you out. But what did Christ say about that? Because I've turned around and I've watched that so same people turn around and bash their own family members over. I've seen them rake them over the coals and I've seen them call them everything but a child of God. And what did Christ say? The enemy of a man is in his own household. Church, I'm not here downgrading your family. That, please understand my heart. But let me tell you something. If somebody ever asks me, before I'm a Finley, I'm a child of God. Before you attack it, before you're a, anything in here, a McGee, you are a child of God. Christ said it best in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 46 here. He says, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. And I used to think this was so, so mean on Christ's part until I understood where he was coming from. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Do you see there? Christ was not, not saying that he didn't love his mother. He was not saying that he didn't love his brothers. But he was saying my ultimate goal here is for a kingdom that is not of this world. My ultimate life is for a homeland that's to come. And these people right here, these are my mother, my mother and my brothers. They may not be flesh and blood, but they're spiritual blood. Church, we are of a spiritual lineage. and It is the household of God. Number two is we are the pillar, and you know, my my ESV version said buttress, and I think my new King James took it out, Uh, but we are a pillar and a buttress of truth. That I'm going to just mostly say pillar because buttress just really, it doesn't roll off the tongue smooth at all. But if we can go back to that verse in Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, it's going to be verse 15. But if I am to lay, you may know how to conduct yourself. To conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. The pillar and the ground of truth. That word pillar and even buttress in the other one stands for a support, something that holds up a standard. Church, as the church, we are the pillar of truth in this dark world that's filled with lies. We are a lighthouse in the storm right now, that all who desire to come in, whosoever will may come, that all who see that light, they can come and run to us. And you remember earlier when I told you about the machine that we've created here and we've slapped the tag church on it. My fear is that if we don't have a right view of what the church is, we'll be like so many of these big churches you see worldwide right now that they bring people in and they don't tell them the truth. And they lead these people unchanged but you know what, those people are coming in there and they're having these awesome emotional experiences and they're surrounded by people who say they care about them and those people probably do, they probably really do love the person, but they don't love them enough to tell the truth. Church, we are a pillar of truth in this dark world and here, let me tell you something, I'm not necessarily, when I say this, I know we speak the truth to the world, but here's what I'm really focused on, that we speak the truth in the church. That when somebody is doing something and they come to you and they say, is this a sin? You answer it wisely. Understand me when I say this. Don't you dare think that I'm telling you to you just hammer down. Because Proverbs says a kind, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But harsh words stir up anger. Your delivery matters. But when you deliver the truth and gentleness the way God intended it, people will receive it more times than not. What I'm getting at here, church, is we are to tell the truth one to another in this church. When we see a brother or a sister caught in a trespass, we're to go to them. And we're to help them. And even as I say that, it's quiet. I didn't hear an amen on that one. You know why? Because we've gotten away from that. We've gotten away from what we would call church discipline, I guess would be the word. Where, when we see each other struggling, we, we don't go up and pull somebody up. We see some people coming in fighting with depression, and we're no better than the people in the Good Samaritan story, where we pass by and we see somebody who's been beat up and drugged down by life, and we look over there and they're like, But I got a lunch to get to. You, you know, I got to get to lunch, I got to beat the crowd. Uh, I'm meeting a family member over here at the cow pen. I, I just, I would pray for you, but I really got this going on. But, but bless be God, and you get out. What are we doing, church, if we don't stop and take time for one another? What are we doing if we don't reach down into the pit and at least attempt to pull one another out? When we see each other caught, whether it's a sin or whether it's just bogged down by life. You know how many times I have needed it and then I've also passed up people and I regret to say that. But I cannot tell you how many times I have been beat down by life and a brother has come along at just the right time and spoke a good word into me that has just rejuvenated me. I'll never forget one time I was... uh, I was going through a really hard time, and I pulled up at a place, and there was a man in there, and I was so nervous to go talk to him because I knew he, I knew that God, he heard from God. I knew it. And when I walked up, I could see the look in his eyes when he was looking at me that he was already getting something from him. And I said, gosh, dang it. Because I was concealing a sin. If I'm being honest, I was concealing sin in my life. And I'll never forget, man, I walked up and he just and he was he was feeding horses and he threw his arm around me and y'all he just started to speak into me I mean it was just like he never once really announced there comes a time and a point where we need to call out the sin as it is, but he never once had to because everything he said around it let me know you know exactly what I'm going through right now and he was encouraging me he was he was stern too though he was telling me this thing: you don't want to play with fire because you're going to get burned and you're going to fall in the pit and you're going to stay there. You don't need to be burned. This is serious. This life is serious. You don't need to play with this stuff. But then he was there to put his arm under me and pick me up. Church, we're the pillar of truth. And I'm afraid that in the churches around the world, they have taken out truth just to keep a member. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you? And I, I didn't give you all this scripture, but this is out of the book of 1 John, I believe. That if you go to somebody... And you've bathed it in prayer and you've done everything you could and presented it the best way you knew how and you've loved that person and they turn around and they're angry and they leave the church, they were never a part of it. That is a truth we have got to reckon with. First John says they're not of us and they showed they were not of us because they did not remain with us. Which means there came a point where it was decision times for those individuals and they said, I'm either going to stay on the boat at this point or I'm going to get off. And people sometimes, when you approach them with the truth, they get off. They get off. Doesn't mean it doesn't break our hearts, but it it does mean this. We by no means give up the truth. I was listening to, I was reading the... uh, I was reading this past week uh, on what they call the downgrade controversy because me and uh, my wife and Beth Ann were talking about it earlier in the week. Charles Spurgeon, many of you might know him. I'm a big, I'm a huge fan of Charles Spurgeon. I I, I love to read his work. Uh, And uh, I was reading, there was an instance called the downgrade controversy when he was a pastor. And it's actually, when I say this, you're going to see exactly what's going on today. And he was a part of what they called the Baptist Union back then because back then it wasn't the uh, Southern Baptist Convention and there wasn't really, to my knowledge, a, a whole lot of denominations, period. And, and he was a part of this union and there came a point where several churches within the union were saying, is the Word of God really the last authoritative thing we have? And people began to say, and is heaven and hell really real? And if heaven and hell is really real, if we're questioning that, is Christ's sacrifice really what we need to get there? Or can we reach God by some other way? And Charles Spurgeon at this time was very down in his health. But he stood up before his entire college of pastors and he said, I'm willing to be eaten by dogs for the next 50 years if it means I stand on the truth of this word. Because no man is above the authority of Scripture. And whether it be me, whether it be Marty, whether it be anybody you go listen to, nobody is above the authority of Scripture. And here's the sad part of that story. There was a big split. A lot of people left. A lot of people left. But there stood one man in a church full of people who still believed that this Word of God was still sufficient. Even, and I'm saying this because you, I don't have to tell you to look outside the door to see the times. No matter what, we are a part of a household of God. And at the end of the day, He is the one who will determine whether we stand or fall when we stand before Him. And far be it from us that we let down our pillar of truth for the sake of trying to entertain somebody. Entertainment doesn't change anybody. The Word of God does. And concerning what we... I really hope you guys are enjoying this because... uh, it's been close to my heart because I just, I don't want it to sound like a beat up message. I want it to sound like we are a part of something that the world cannot offer. To be a part of the church is more than being a part of a national championship football team. It's more than being able to say, I'm in the billionaire club. You are a part of a church of a God who is real and who reigns and who is coming back again one day. And that will not be taken away from you. In Ephesians chapter 3, or I'm sorry, chapter 4, starting in verse 11, he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. So don't you see? Paul's saying there, we don't use craftiness. We don't use cunning words and if you know the times back then, if anybody could present an idea and and present it in a, in a way that sounds smart, people received it. Because the Roman culture back then and everything going on, obviously we know that, the, that they were really big Stoics, right? They were really big philosophers, even though they were stupid. I'm, I'm sorry, but when you have a God for the kitchen sink and your spoon and your bowl, I just have a hard time. Don't tell me I'm an idiot. You know, don't tell me I'm an idiot when you have all that, you know. And you know what bothers me so... I'm going on a tangent here. You know what bothers me so bad? Is that we'll sit here in colleges and schools and we'll praise people from back then like Homer and their books on the Iliad and whatnot that don't have anything written in it until thousands of years later. They have no close evidence of why he wrote that, but yet the Bible has evidence starting within 20 to 30 years of Christ's crucifixion. But yet they look at you and they go, you're an idiot. But yet you're teaching Greek mythology? And praising how wonderful these Stoics were? I'm sorry. Church, you got to look. We got to grow some hair here, okay, on our chest. It's time for us to realize and call out when someone says, you mean to tell me you believe in God? My first response is, you mean to tell me that all this just happened from nothing? I was driving down the road the other day, and I was talking to God, and I said, I have a hard time believing that cloud right there just happened to be here. I have a hard time to believe that from some explosion that we got two genders, that when they come together, they make another child. That when a tree, when a nut falls from a tree, it goes down into the ground and makes another tree. I have a hard time when scientists say, yeah, you know, if the earth, it's on its axis. If we go one degree to the left, we're too cold. One degree to the right, we'll burn up. And then they say, but there's no God. So from an explosion, just absolute perfection happened like that. Come on, people. Come on, people. It, look, it, come on. We got to start. We just, so, sometimes, sometimes the church, I said this last time, sometimes the church, we try to just get too spiritual about something, and we just need to use the common sense that God has given us to sometimes just look around. You know, I love, Ray Comfort says it the best. If you don't watch Ray Comfort, watch Ray Comfort. He goes and he does street preaching. They call him the banana guy. And he tells people all the time, he says, if you look at a painting, you know there's a painter, right? He says, so how can you look at the world and not know that there's a mind behind it? How do you look at this and not know that there is something behind this? Really good guy. I'm telling you, if you ever want to learn some uh, just techniques on talking to people, look up Ray Comfort. Really good guy. Really good guy to listen to. But, Back to this, though. I'm going to read out of Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to read this up on the screen if you got it. This goes back to how we need to be a pillar of truth here for the local church. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So don't you see? Nowhere in there does he say... Just, just pat them on the back and, back and tell them you love them, and they'll be all right. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, speak the truth in gentleness, but do not back away from the truth. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got given when raising my child, I had somebody I trust dearly in the faith. They told me, they said, if there's one thing I can tell you about raising your daughter, be consistent. Be consistent don't change, don't budge. If you preach the Word of God, hold them accountable to it. Don't let them go hang out with those people that you know ain't going to do right. Hold a, be consistent. Don't sit there and tell them, now you ain't supposed to be doing this, but I don't mind if you go out and hang out with those people that I know are about to go drink and drive. How many times do we do that? You wouldn't hand a, a soldier a knife and tell him to go out to war, would you? Or you wouldn't just tell and put on put a little vest on him and expect nothing to happen to him, right? I hope I'm hitting home here. Here's where toe meets leather. Here. That reference is a football reference. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> you hogs ought to know that because I know y'all had a heart attack yesterday. When I cut on that ESPN app and I saw the hogs were down 17 to nothing to Missouri State, I said, glory be to God in the highest. What? What? How be, what is going on right here? And I said, Lord, if you could just let the hogs come back so they'll come to church tomorrow. Because I just know, I know, just let them come on back. And look, first thing this morning, I popped on, I said, you did it, God. Seven. That's not a true story, none of that is. So just so you know. I was actually scared for y'all. The <laughs> last thing I want to say, though, about the church this morning is that we are His bride, His prized possession, and I think if we would ever get this part, it would change us. Because I feel like so many times within the church, we live our lives kind of beat down, pretty bad, or really hard on ourselves, and sometimes we need to be okay. But we can go overboard where we start questioning the fact of whose we are. Let me tell you something. It's not arrogant to put your trust and faith. When someone says you're a Christian, you just say, yeah, I am. It's not arrogant. See, sometimes we think, oh, well, I don't want to be arrogant. I'm going to be humble. And we just say, Lord, I hope so. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and let you know when you say that, then you're telling Christ that his sacrifice wasn't sufficient. But I know because of my word that it says it was once for all. And when I heard that, that's all I need. And when he said, you're justified by faith in me, then, look, I get it. I mess up. I say a lot of things I shouldn't. I do a lot of things I shouldn't. But I'm trying. I'm getting up every day, and I'm walking forward with him. And because because I know he's producing those things in me, and he's changing my heart, and he's died for me, when someone says, are you saved? You dig them right, I am. And I'm looking forward to his second coming. I'm ready for it. I'm, I'll be, And when they say, so you're going to heaven, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be right there. I'm going to be right there with my brothers and my sisters in, in the faith. I'm going to be right next to Abraham, hopefully. I'm going to have Charles Spurgeon on the other side, my wife and kids on this side. I tell people all the time, I know I'm kind of getting a little funny here, but I'm trying to draw a point. This is, that's what it's going to be like. You're not just going to be in the, This is from, from thousands of years to now that the church has existed and we will be together in glory and it will never, ever end. Yeah. Ephesians 5, 25 through 29. It says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And it wasn't just for nothing, okay, you ready? That he might present her to himself a glorious church and not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nurses and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones for this reason. Well, no, I don't want to go that far. Now, I know there's a lot of symbolism there about the husband, what he should do for the wife, but that's not what I'm wanting to hit on you there. You realize the reason why he's saying that is he's saying, because it's already been done by Christ. This kind of reminds me of when when, when my dad or somebody would tell me, I'm not asking you to do something I haven't already done before. Christ is drawing this correlation of how much he loves his bride. His church is the bride of Christ. And how many of you have ever seen a bride walk down the aisle looking like she's covered in dirt? You don't see that. Christ is working in us and through us right now to produce us, uh, to make us into His image, and that when we stand before Him at His second coming, we are going to be beautiful before Him. Let me tell you something. When my wife came down that aisle, I remember when she got to the end, and I just said, I don't even remember what Marty was saying. I told her over and over and over. I said, you are so beautiful. And I remember just looking and I just kept saying, I am so amazed. You are so beautiful. And as I began to read these scriptures on Christ's love for the church and I was his bride, that's all I could picture was him when his church gets presented to him. The Bible says he's not going to be ashamed of us. It says, I I will be their God and they will be my people. And earlier in Hebrews chapter 6, he says that Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed. And we will be the bride walking down that aisle one day. And he's going to be saying, you are beautiful because you are mine. I bought you with the price and I sanctified you with my work in your heart. You are mine. I just picture those husbands that sit at the end. You know, I wish I would have done it, but I didn't because I knew there was a camera on me. But I so badly just wanted to throw both hands up like a touchdown when my wife walked through because I was like, yes, yes. Yes, truthfully, I was so happy. And all I can think, and I'm not bragging on Tyler here, I'm just saying if if me being a man was that happy, oh, imagine Christ when His church is presented to him at the end of time. He's not going to be ashamed, but He's going to be more. The Bible says that God sings over us. He sings over us because He loves us, church. Because we are the church. If you don't mind, let's read 2 Peter chapter 2. I know I'm napalming you with Scripture right now, but it's what we need, huh? Y'all remember what I kept saying? We're a lineage, a royal priesthood second peter first peter chapter 2 verse 9 says but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light who once were not a people but you now the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy Can I ask you to come up here, Lee? Do you understand right here, church? It's not just a coming to a building anymore. Wednesday nights are not just coming to a building. Sunday mornings are not just coming to a building. It is the gathering and the assembly of the household of God. And we have got to get that in our minds that this is more. Because I know when you're tired from your week, you've been working all day, and you're tired and you're exhausted, and you're thinking, "Man, I gotta go do nursery tonight, or I got lockup tonight, or I got this, or I got that." But please, church, let's get in the right mind that is so much more than that. It's so much more than the responsibilities and the duties we're gathering with the people of God. And I'm so thankful to be a part of that. I wish we had a slogan. You know, because you know why I know we've lost that is because now Wednesday nights are being replaced with ball games. Have y'all noticed that? There's a ton of ball games on Wednesday nights and practices going on on Wednesday nights now. I wish we could make a slogan, make Wednesdays godly again, or make church godly, make Wednesdays great again for all I care. I didn't want to air too political there, but I'm just I'm speaking for the church here. Let's make Wednesdays important again. Let's make gathering important again. Because then, maybe, by the grace of God, we can make America godly again. I mean, we are the people of God is what I'm trying to tell you this morning. And what a wonderful thing that is. Don't just walk through your day and think, I'm Tyler that works for Janitor Supply and I sell toilet paper and that's it. You're not just Marty Tack and I'm a farmer and I'm a pastor of LVA Church and that's really it. No, I'm Tyler who happens to live on earth and be work for Janitor Supply, but, I'm of the, and, and, but most importantly, I'm of the household of God. Kind of reminds me if you ever watched NFL football back in the day, they may still do this, but they used to let the players stand up there, they'd show their face, and they'd say, "My name is so and so, such and such. I came from uh, Miami Univer- University of Miami," or they would say, "And I'm from such and such high school." Man, ours should definitely be. I'm Tyler Finley, five foot nine, one hundred and eighty pounds of the household of God. Amen. Carlin Marie, five foot four. not going to say the weight, beautiful as all can be, carrying my third child of the household lineage of God who is to bless forever. Amen. Why don't we carry this around anymore? We are of the household of God. We are His bride. And He is proud to call us that. I wear this ring on my finger because I'm proud to call my wife my wife. I wear it so that anybody talking to me, whether male or female, they know he he loves his wife. He's taken. But let me say this for those of you who are in here who are not of the household of God. Just because you are in this building, though, does not make you a part of the household of God. We must realize that simply coming, you can be a part of the you can be a part of the, the functions of the church. You can, you can serve in different parts and you can do a lot of things for the church. But that doesn't make you a part of the household of God. This is what the church is. This is Tyler's layman terminology here that I didn't even write down, but the church is a group of broken and shattered people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, who recognized their need of a Savior and that there was only one. And again, His name was Jesus Christ. And not only did they recognize He was their Savior, they recognized Him so much to say, I'm willing to walk with Him. I'm willing to follow Him all the way to my death if I must for this man who is the Messiah, Jesus I can't look at the Mississippi Bridge and say that I believe that that bridge is there and only stand on one side of it. I've got to walk on it to prove I believe that it is, in fact, a bridge. And if you are in here, we must do the same if we want to be a part of the household of God. There's so much more. I guess what I'm trying to say, church, is being a part of the church is just more. It's in the workplace. It's out in the gas stations. It's when we see each other when you're on your job. In fact, what was it? Was it Wednesday? Tuesday? We all huddled up at Miss Kathy's shop. I walked in there to take a darn order. Walked out without one because I didn't even ask. Because we had done talked about everything but that. I walked in. I walk in and I see Jason over there. And y'all, let me tell you, when I walked in, I don't know if Jason could see it on my face, but I was tired. I was, I was tired. And I walked in, I plumped down that chair, and Miss Kathy was talking to somebody. And for too long, Miss Sharetta walked in. And for too long, another lady, Miss Sharon, here in the community. And before too long, we were just sitting here. We, we talked business now, don't get me wrong. But for too long, we were talking about the things of God, too. And it just seemed to be flowing through everybody that walked in there. One, 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 bam, bam, bam. And I walked out and I got in the car and I just thought to myself, I am so thankful to be a part of the church of the living God. Because I can go into a tea shop in the community and all of a sudden get fed the word of God when I walked in, drives the Moabi Desert. How amazing to be a part of the household of God that through just normal. I was walking in there not expecting to see anybody but Miss Kathy. And say, do you need some little cups? That's all I was going to do. And then all of a sudden, the Word of God starts getting thrown around from each one. It was amazing to be a part of the household of God. And and again, I want to reiterate, we were at the tea shop. I really hope this has struck home with you today. That if, if you are if you are a professing believer who is walking out your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual heritage and you are a part of a church that is a worldwide and a timeless church that spans from thousands of years up to this present day. You are a part of a royal priesthood and a holy lineage that is the church of the living God. But again, I would like to say to you, if you are not a part of the church, I would like to encourage you today to make that day your day. Can I read a scripture for you? Thank you. This is church, it's what we do, huh? Y'all are gonna say, Tyler, I know where you're going. You're going back to Romans ten again. <laughs> you darn right. Romans chapter ten verse nine: That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I was reading that down there during worship, and I read it, and I just felt it welling up in me, and I said, "Lord, I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe." With everything inside of me, I believe. I, I believe. And when I got to that last part, I realized I'm saved. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I messed up yesterday. Just this morning, I was telling my wife, I said, I feel like I didn't do something the Lord told me to do yesterday, and it was bugging me. And my wife looked at me. She said, you're going to kill yourself with worry, Tyler. And then I read that right there, and it says, you will be saved. It didn't say if, I'm a hun- if I bat a 1,000 with God. It didn't say if I make every shot I ever shoot. It doesn't say if I walk a straight line perfect to to the straight and narrow. It says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in the heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I'm proud to tell you this morning, I'm saved. I'm saved this morning. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession has made unto salvation. And I love this because one time I asked, I said, but Lord, what if I stand before you and I get it? And I found out I, I wasn't. What if I stand before you and you say, uh-uh. And then one day as I said that, I looked right down and the very next scripture said, but the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. That's final, baby. That is final. I'm telling you, church, when I read that, it welled up inside of my heart so big, and all I could do was cry because I realized, God, one, you heard me, and two, it's impossible. It is impossible for me to stand before you and be ashamed. It is impossible for me to think that I'm going to stand before you and then look dumb in the face because I've been rejected. It's not going to happen. And somebody might say, well, why, Tyler? And it's going to say, because Jesus Christ paid the price, and I believe in him that it was sufficient for me, and I recognize I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. And that man right there, that you see, that man was the one. What's the thief on the cross? I love it. I love it. I got a sign that hangs in my house right now, and it says the man on the middle cross told me I could come. He didn't get asked about doctrines of justification. He didn't get asked about, hey, can you explain the Trinity to me? Nothing. All he had to do was say, all I know is I looked at that man named Jesus on the middle cross, and I told him to remember me, and he told me he would. That's my ticket. And they said, well, come on, you good and faithful servant. This son of a gun was bad to the day he died. And moments before, moments before, that man on the middle cross said, yeah, today you'll be with me. This man didn't know a lick of the Word of God probably. You've got to grasp this. This man barely knew a thing, but something changed in his heart. and He looked over and he said, this is the Messiah. And he just said, if you would, please remember me. Hey, i got a little side message for you. It didn't stop the consequences of his sin. He still had to hang. He still got his legs broke and he still had to die. Don't get your salvation, your justification mixed up with the consequences going on in your life, okay? If we have put ourselves in a hole, sometimes we've got to put up with the consequences there. What did David say? They asked David. They said, look, David, what do you... Hey, God asked him. He said, you make your choice right here. What do you want to do? You sinned. You did something I told you not to do. Now you've got to pay for it, but what do you want? And he said, Lord, don't put me in the hands of man. Put me in the hands of God because with him is mercy, What did David do when he sinned again against God? You know how when we say David, we say again and again and again? Sounds like us, right? And I loved this story so much. He's walking down the road, and there's a man up top, and he's just berating David. It's your fault our people got killed. You're the one who did it. And this man is picking up stones and throwing, and finally David's men look at him and say, you want us to to kill that guy? We'll shut him up right now. Right now. And David says, no, 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 no. He's from God. That man was put here from God because I know what I did against the Lord. But here's one thing David remembered. My consequences, they're they're tough. But that has nothing to do with my justification when I stand before God. Because he has counted me righteous. Why? Why was David counted righteous? Because he had faith in the living God at the end of the day. I'm not trying to be long-winded, but this stuff, you just get passionate about it. When, when you finally get it, you just get passionate about it. Man, because I'm telling you, I, I think uh, we've known each other since 2007. I'd say I didn't. I got saved. But then I'll say from my consequences, I think I went down about, shortly after high school, I think I went down about six years of questioning my salvation. Because of my own doings. And I was going, God, you're not with me. God, you're not with me. You're not doing this. And then finally one day I realized, no, it ain't that God's not with me. I said, I won't let him use me. I won't let him do the work he's trying to do inside of me. I'm fighting against him with my sin. I'm holding on to my sin more than I am holding on to God. And about two years ago, the levees broke on that bad boy. And now, I ain't saying I don't struggle with sin. I get tempted every day. But let me tell you, I don't look at it with the beauty I once did. I look at it, and I don't look at it like, it like I used to, like it's a trophy. I look at it as a snake now. And I look at Him as my trophy and Him as my reward. I count Him worthy. And man, when it gets in you, and look, I'm going to tell you something. Let me tell you this, and I, I know I'm being long-winded, but I want you to hear this. I still have consequences to this day from some of my actions. Some have affected the way some people have, have seen me. I had people that I spoke Christ into and then they turned around and saw me doing things I shouldn't do. I've got, to put, I've got to bear those consequences. It has made consequences on my marriage in areas at times. But number one, thanks be to God that He gave me such a woman as He did. But number two, I have to remember on my hardest days when I'm looking and I'm going, you know, that's because you did it. I have to remember, but thanks be to God, because this has nothing to do with my justification and my right standing before Him. So if that's you in this, as you stand with me, if that's you in this place, and you say, "I, Tyler, I love what you talked about about the church. I want to be a part of the bride. I want to be the one that God gets excited about and He jumps for joy like you talked about doing on on the day of the, of the wedding feast." I love Grand Jan. She always says, The marriage supper of the lamb. I love that reference. Because can you imagine what that's going to be like? But if that's you in this place and you say, I want to be a part of that church, I want you to know today can be your day. You don't have to go write a 500 word essay, you don't have to go through six months of sitting before somebody. No matter what anybody tells you, there's no man that can speak in your place. All you have to do is come down here and confess, Jesus Christ, you are Lord forever. And then confess your sins before him. Look, I'm, look. if you come down here, I'll pray for you all day long. But until you confess with your own mouth, And I'm not saying you got to say it where everybody under the sun can hear you. But until you confess with your own mouth, Jesus is Lord, and confess your sins to Him and ask Him to forgive you, my prayers have done nothing but just land on an unwilling vessel. If everyone would, just bow with me this morning. Father God, I thank you. I thank you, God, for Justification. Christ, I pray that you would let the passion, God, that you have for us, I pray that you would let it overflow on your people today. God, I hope I've done a due service today to let people know that we are your bride, God. I'm not just Tyler anymore. I'm not just Tyler identified by my past. I'm Tyler, a part of the lineage of God, the bride of Christ. And so are these brothers and sisters amongst me who are also a part of the church. I pray that you would instill in us a knowledge, God, to know how your heart beats for your church, God. You're coming back for your church because you love them, God. You love the church so much that you laid your life down for to purchase it. God, we were no better than Gomer in the book of Hosea. We've prostituted ourselves out to everything that comes our way, and you kept providing just like Hosea did for Gomer. Because we're your church, God. We are your church. And God, I pray for the individual in here that is not a part of the church that's on the outside looking in that says, I want to be, I want to be a part of that thing you're talking about. I pray, God, that you would stir in their heart right now to let them know, God, the love you have for them. And God, if there be any doubt in this place of what if I go up there and he rejects me, God, your word says you will by no means turn away all who come to you. You will turn not one away. And God, I pray that if there be anybody in here that is struggling with doubt about who's going to see, I pray that you would expel that completely, God, because man cannot speak for us when we stand before the living God. On that beautiful day when we are presented as the bride, God, when you have defeated Satan, when you have cast down all the enemies, God, of, your war, of, the, of the heavens and of, of the church, God, when you've cast them all down at the end of time, Nobody's opinions will ever matter. If the prayer warriors would just begin to pray this morning right now, just begin to pray. Father God, we magnify your name in this place. Church, if you are a part of the Church the Living God, would you just magnify Christ right now as the bride of Christ? And if that is you this morning, I'm praying, I'm, I'm asking you to come forward. Even now the altars are open. Don't let this day pass you by because of anything you're afraid somebody might think or say. No matter how old, no matter how young you are in this place.